Hello and welcome to another edition of Ask the Experts here on City News 570. I'm joined today by Faisal Susie Wallop. Faisal is ranked within the top three real estate brokers in the world for Remax and was recently named Canada's top agent. Faisal began his career at the young age of 18 and has been providing outstanding results for over 30 years now, most notably with Remax Twin City Realty. And he's here to share his uh, thoughts on everything related to uh, the real estate world. Um, Happy New Year, Faisal. Happy New Year. Thanks for having me on, Brock. Happy to have you back. Listeners, if you're interested in any of the information we discuss over the next hour, please reach out to Faisal. You can start your journey at homeshack.com. You can also call him directly, 519-624-5555, or by email at Faisal at homeshack.com. Lots to sift through over the next hour, Faisal. Uh, why don't we jump uh, feet first in, and, and in your mind, what can we expect over the next couple of months? Well, you know, we've had the stagnation. We've had a slowdown in activity. Uh, people have been sitting on the sidelines, but I think that it has ended Just judging in the past couple of weeks, we've seen an enormous amount of activity, renewed interest from buyers to enter the market, uh, especially ahead of the announcements that are going to be coming out. Of course, we know January 24th, uh, Bank of Canada will send out their guidance and it is expected that the rates will pause. We will not see a reduction, I don't feel, but we will not see any rates increasing. Of course, the inflation numbers came out They're higher than we'd like to see them. But I think uh, everyone has just resolved to the fact that, you know, increasing interest rates is not really going to be the answer at this point. Um, So there's an opportunity out there for buyers, certainly to seriously look at getting into the market before rates start going down. And even if that's on a short term basis, you know, get 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 a mortgage, even if the rates a little bit higher. Uh, lock in for one or two years and really start looking at opportunities before you start competing again to buy a home. I know that we've talked in the past too about the idea that this time right around now there there might people might be feeling that pinch especially if it's you know they're they're coming to the end of that uh, that five-year term Um, but things have started to ease up a little bit haven't they? They really have. the renewals are starting to come in right now. And 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 we've discussed this in the past that 65% of people who own homes right now will have their renewals coming in the next 12 to 18 months. If you have a renewal today, yes, there will be a pinch, but lock in for a one-year or two-year term. We do expect these rates to drop into the low fours, um, hopefully in the next 18 months. So that will give you a little bit of runway um, until that point. Um, of course, it's not easy. Uh, we, we all have to deal with what we're dealing with, but I don't, I would not recommend to people to tie into a long-term mortgage um, and, and try to just weather the storm, create some revenue, uh, rent out a room, uh, create an in-law suite, something to get the revenue in to sustain your payments until such time that the rates are reduced again. You you brought up those the, a couple of key points. That idea of, people have to get creative and and look at you know their 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 home and and we've had this discussion before that the idea of your home it's your castle but it might also be someone else's uh, saving grace as you said putting in an in in law suite uh, looking at bringing in a renter not only are you 
you know, the, the bottom line is being impacted for you in a positive way. You're also making an impact in your community as well, too. Uh, and and we know when we when we look outside right now, uh, it, we're we're in the dead of winter. Uh, we if we can help people out, that's a, that's a great way. And I'm glad you brought that up. Talking about being in the dead of winter. Normally, I would assume that there's a slowdown in construction this time of year. What impact does that have on the market? Yeah, the, the slowdown in construction, it's, it's primarily there's uh, no starts of units. Um, and the, the impact on that is the housing crisis is just increasing. We're not seeing, um, we're not seeing the construction levels that we are expecting. In fact, uh, 5,377 homes were expected to start last year in our region, less than half of that actually happened or around half of that, I think it was 56%. Um, $15 million in uh, funding has not been forwarded from the province to our region because we didn't meet the targets that were set set out by the by the province. And we have to look at what's the require what was the reason? Is it inflation? Is it high cost of construction? Is it municipal red tape? Where is the disconnect here? And what is the reason behind us not getting the starts? 25,000 applicants applications were made for housing and only 10% of those were approved. So these wow. numbers are just staggering. We, what is going on? Why are we not getting more approvals? Why are we not getting approvals faster? So all those politicians that are out there listening, do something about it. Stop, you know, making wind and useless comments uh, to get votes and actually do something. Faisal, if this whole real estate thing doesn't work out, would you ever consider a, a career in, in politics? Oh my goodness! No way. <laughs> I, I don't think I get the vote. One, but <laughs> you know what? You'd get my vote. I'll tell you that right now. I appreciate you, that. You talk about the fact that you know, even though things are are a bit stagnant right now, but there's still opportunity out there, isn't there? Absolutely. In these times, lie opportunity. People that are exiting right now, I believe, are making a mistake. Those who are entering right now, it's bold, it's 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 uncomfortable, but it's the right thing to do. And like I said, if you manage your timing right and you manage your payments correctly and you don't lock yourself into a long-term situation, you're going to not only uh, avoid all those bidding wars and, and, and price hikes and lack of inventory issues, uh, you're going to be able to make a thoughtful decision right now and get into the market. Um, I think there's a three to six month uh, window here where someone can really uh, get into the market at a reasonable price and then enjoy the fruits of their labor and 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 the risk that they're taking over the next two to three years. And 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 good for for people, as you said, you 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 do have to be a bit of a risk taker, and and it's important. Uh, talking about being a risk taker, the other thing we had gone through the pre-show notes, and we're we're talking about the idea that we know that the Canada Emergency Business Account that's that's come to uh, to fruition, and we know that the government, the federal government, is is wanting to start to claw that back. What what can you give us some in, insight as to what that was all about, and and what are some some concerns that you might have as well? Well, you know, it, it, as of January 18th, so a few days ago, uh, we saw that the forgiveness of the, so if you borrowed $60,000 during COVID, and that was to re give relief to those uh, small businesses 
Um, myself included, we didn't know what the situation was going to be. Um, I didn't know if I could make payroll, if there was going to be income, or if we were going to get shut down from showing homes. So I took the first 40000 and then the second 20000 so equated to $60,000. Now, last week, I paid back $40,000 because $20,000 was forgiven, provided I paid it back by January 18th, which I did. Right. I was fortunate to be in a position to pay that money back. But for those of us who were not in a position to pay that money back, they had two choices. Either forgo the forgivable portion, which is $20,000 on $60,000 and $10,000 on $40,000. So if you borrowed the forty dollars and didn't take the second twenty, dollars you had to give back. You, you were able to forgive. You were forgiven $10,000. So those folks now who did not pay by January 18th, owe the full amount, the full 60,000 or the full 40,000. And as, as I mentioned on previous shows and have been uh, putting out videos about this over the last month and a half, that don't give up the opportunity to, give, to get that forgivable portion, borrow the money, do whatever. Now, if you've made an application to a, to a bank and the, the loan hasn't been approved yet, as long as you had made the application or shown the effort of making the application prior to January 18th, you are still entitled to that forgiveness once that loan comes in. So there is a little bit of a grace period there, uh, but ultimately you're better to borrow at a higher rate of interest than to give up the $20,000 forgiveness because that's a big chunk of money. That's one third of your loan. That's 33% yeah. essentially in cost that you've eliminated just by paying it uh, down in time. Well, and thanks for sharing that. You the, the, you you gave us some a, a, you know a personal and professional example of of there was a need for it and um and and now it's come due. But it's important that everybody understand the ins and outs of all of those things as well too. Uh, we'll take <clears throat> excuse me. We'll take a quick break. We'll get an update. Uh, uh, actually, we'll we'll just take a quick break right now. When we come back, I'd like to talk with Faisal about avoiding some costly home renovations. You're listening to Ask the Experts here on City News 570. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Canada's top real estate broker and author of the book, The Real Deal, billion-dollar real estate broker, Faisal Suziwala. The book contain, uh, continues to be ranked on Amazon's bestseller list as well, too. And uh, if you didn't get your copy over the holidays, never fear. Go on to Amazon, pick yourself up a copy as well. Uh, if you'd like a chance to chat with Faisal yourself, you can start by going to homeshack.com. You can also call Faisal directly, 519-624-5555, or email Faisal at homeshack.com. Faisal, before the break, I mentioned the idea of home renos, and some might be really costly, and, and you do get a big return, but I, I'm also thinking some might be costly, and, and you're just looking at a money pit. What, uh, what advice have you got for people? A lot of it is timing. If you're going to put in that, you know, $250,000 backyard improvement with the swimming pool, patios, gazebos, cabanas, if you're planning on selling in a year or two, you're not going to get the return that you would want because the cost of those items have gone up significantly. So look, if it's for your own enjoyment, 
that's great. But, you know, plan on being there for five to seven years before you start seeing the true return on it. There's no question that those items will make your home far more desirable. But you also want a, re a return on your investment that you put in there beyond just enjoyment. So that's number one, the swimming pool. You have to really think about timing. Additions. So if you're adding onto your home to increase square footage, the alternative to that might be better to do something internal. So for example, if you have an attic uh, that's unfinished, there's a great way to increase living space, but also increase square footage. Because square footage, we're living in a society where people associate value to size so that the square footage is greater, the value of the home is going to be greater. So that's another way to add add some 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 value within the home without actually putting on an addition because additions again foundations framing can be very costly adding a garage again you have to look at whether or not that's if you've already got a garage or got a double car garage and, and, and you're adding additional garages again unless you're planning on being there for a long time do that for your own enjoyment the rate of return is not going to be there and then there's the less sexier items that people invest in that don't really get you. So the things you don't really see, like the new windows, if you've already got vinyl windows, but you want to improve the windows from an energy efficiency basis, and the window guys are going to hate me for saying this, it doesn't make a difference. The buyer, today's buyer is not like, it's not like mom and dad, like really opening up taps and flushing toilets and seeing they're looking at cosmetics and they're, you know, they love that new car smell and that's the end of it. So spending the money on upgrading windows, putting on a steel roof, um, things that you don't really see, putting in that top of the line, you know, dual fan heating system and the ultra quiet air conditioning unit. All of these things are great if you're going to be there for the next 10 years and if they really bother you. Um, but as far as getting a return on that investment, it's unlikely you're going to recoup a lot of that investment. Maintain it, make sure it's good, make sure it's functional, make sure it's in good working order, but don't break the bank on those upgrades. And then doing a lot of types of built-ins. I see a lot of nooks, you know, bay, area, bay areas in kitchens where people will put in this massive like granite table with built-in wooden uh, benches. Now it's all permanent fixtures that they're putting in, but that not that might not be something that the next buyer appreciates or goes with their decor. And now they have right. to undo it. And then a lot of people have been converting bedrooms as their kids move out or whatnot into closets or spaces that are not multifunctional. They're just turning it into a permanent closet or putting something in there that's, again, going to be hard to, to uh, convert back. Removing bedrooms is not a good idea, especially in the economy right. we're in, in the times we're in, where population growth, even if it's uh, even if you're an empty nester, you may have an opportunity to rent out that extra bedroom. So think about what conversions you're doing and also think about how can it be reconverted back if you're planning on selling the home. Of course, the kitchens. And then, and, uh, sorry, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, kitchens and bathrooms. Normal sort of upgrades that you can do and, and most of us do. And you can never go wrong with kitchens and bathrooms and flooring and cosmetics. But just be careful on, on the big, big ticket items that are not um, going to get you that return in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a small amount of time. And and I, I I'll give you a personal example. We uh, a few months ago made the decision to to we we had a gas fireplace. Uh, we didn't use it very often. It was on the main floor. 
Uh, we went to have it serviced, and it's 30-odd years old, and and basically uh, the, the, the service tech came in and said, you know what, you might want to look at something newer because it might not be up to code, all of those kinds of things. We made the decision, just to, as, a, as, as a couple, that we would put in a um, an electric fireplace. That I, I, was, I was blown away with what they look like these days, and my thought process was we plan on being here for as as you were saying, you know, another five to ten years, it serves its purpose for us now, and it it didn't break the bank. And also, if it, even if it's not what the next tenant or owner wants, um, it it's still uh, it's still reasonable. And we didn't uh, we didn't uh, jump in and, and make these huge changes. Hopefully, you're going to tell me I did the right thing. Oh, absolutely. You know what? It checks a box. People say, well, yes. does the home have a fireplace? Yes, it does. And that, again, checks about. And, and what do folks want? They want those little luxury items, amenities. And again, it doesn't break the bank to have it. So great, good investment on your side. Okay. Glad to know. And then it's always a good idea to ask. I should ask the expert before I make these decisions, but you know, sometimes <laughs> you don't always get a chance to do that. Uh, to, to shift gears a little bit, and, and I know that there's been those stories out there right now, and we're looking at things for the next few minutes at least, uh, from from a, a tenant standpoint, and also being a, a landlord, uh, these these stories of of tenants being evicted, and we know that there's always there's always two sides to the story. And I'm I'm sure that you see that because you've been at it for so long. What what what's your take on on what's happening there, Faisal? We have to look at why our tenants being evicted. What is the reason for it? And and it's not always the big bad landlord. Uh, sometimes it's mortgage renewal comes in at 7% and it was at two and a half percent. They simply cannot afford to keep that property, especially with rent control at two and a half percent increase. Um, if somebody was paying 1500 and the, the cost of their mortgage is $3,000 where there's a $1,500 deficit for that landlord, so they have no choice, but to sell that property. So that's a legitimate reason, financial reason to sell. The other is they actually want to move in for themselves and right. use that property because they are downsizing or they had bought that property with the intent that one day I'll move into this rental property and you know uh, it's in the neighborhood that I want to be in. Now, that's a tricky one because landlords are using that to evict tenants and then re-renting the property out at a higher price. Um, that's illegal. Don't do it. Make sure you consult with the uh, with the legal department before you call the landlord tenant people before you do anything like that. If you're not planning on living there, you will be found out. You will be charged. You fines are heavy. It's just not a good thing to do. So honesty is the best policy, of course. Um, now, if you really want to get out of that property because the tenant isn't paying you enough, there's what's something called cash for keys. Okay. So you can for your tenant a bonus to move out. That could be $1,000, that could be $10,000. I've heard as high as $20,000 to ask that tenant to leave. And the, the idea behind that is that the landlord then can say, I can go in there, renovate it, sell the property for a higher amount of money than I would get if the tenant was there, um, and at least recoup some of my cash for keys money that I'm giving to the tenant. So that is a legal way of doing it. But of course, all parties have to agree on that as well. Um, so there's many different ways, but you know what I'm finding, one of the reasons that landlords are selling is if I'm renting a townhouse and there's another townhouse in the same complex for sale, and I'm the landlord of townhouse A, and my tenant in townhouse A is only paying me $1,500, and 
the tenant in townhouse B is paying $3,000 a month because mm. it's later tenancy. As a landlord, I might say, well, why don't I sell townhouse A? And that, when, it, when, when I sell it, the buyer is probably going to move into it. I'll take the money to get from townhouse A and convert it into and reinvest it into townhouse B. And that's another thing. So the rental policies and the limits that uh, that that landlords have on what they can do with the rents is causing uh, landlords to look for loopholes or look at different ways of getting out of these rental properties so they can reinvest. Because there's, let's face it, real estate is being used as an as an investment vehicle. Hmm. And if your investment is not giving you the right return, whether it's a stock or a bond or a GIC, you're going to cash out and you're going to try to reinvest it into another vehicle. And that's exactly what landlords are doing with, with the rental properties. They're saying, I'm not getting enough on this property. I'll sell it and I'll reinvest my money on another one. And you've been at this game for a while, Faisal. I would think in some situations that if if you have owned a rental property and you have had tenants for years and years and years, that you have built up some rapport with them as well. And, and you there's nothing better than having a, a great tenant who you don't need to worry about. They pay their bills on time. They, you know, they're they're not wrecking the place. You've built up a rapport. They 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 have pride of ownership, even though they're they're not the owner. Um that obviously must play when when a, a, a landlord is making these decisions because it's it is a business, yes, but it's also it's it's someone's someone's living space. It's someone's home, and and that should never be taken lightly. The challenge is this: when when the rents were all at a reasonable rate, and the interest rates were lower, and renewals were not coming in, if I had to take ten percent less because I had a good tenant and uh, I was loyal to them, they were loyal to me, we were good to each other. You know what? I can I can sustain that, and I would sustain that. I'm happy, and I advise people to sustain, like for ten percent here or there. Don't don't bother your tenant. But the challenge is that when the interest rates are renewing at 7% or 6.5% and the mortgage payment is literally doubling, now you're at a 50% discount at that rent. So it just becomes a situation of sustainability. How do I sustain this investment? How do I add the extra $1,500? And I've even gone as far as to justify to my landlords that are investor partners to say, look, okay, you're going to take $1,500. You're going to take a hit of $1,500 per month for the next 12 months. Yeah. Uh, hopefully the rates will come down after that. So it's an $18,000 hit, annual hit. But if there's appreciation in that property over a year or two years, then we'll make that money back. So let's not um, you know, relocate these tenants to another home and, and, and just put everybody through a lot of discomfort in order to make that because sometimes you can actually get paid to wait. So selling yeah. is not always the right answer. And, um, but it just has to wash out. And again, not everyone is going to be in a position to be able to sustain that negative cash flow, and they have no choice but to sell or to move in themselves because they have to sell the primary residence. Thanks for that Faisal, because that, that puts things in perspective for everybody as well too. We'll take a quick break. We'll get an update from the City News 570 News Center. When we come back, buyers and sellers, beware. Stay with us here on City News 570. Welcome back to the show. My guest today, Canada's top real estate broker and author of the book, The Real Deal, billion-dollar real estate broker, Faisal Suziwala. The book continues, as I said before, it's ranked on Amazon's bestseller list, uh, 
Again, if you didn't get a copy over the holidays, never too late. Valentine's Day is coming up. Give yourself a present for Valentine's Day. Uh, if you'd like a chance to chat with Faisal yourself, you can start by going to homeshack.com. You can also call Faisal directly, 519-624-5555, or through email, Faisal at homeshack.com. Faisal, I know that there must be things that both buyers and sellers find out when it's way too late. Um, and you've said before, it's important to do your homework, get the facts before you buy. Give us give us your top list. What are the things that people need to keep in mind when either selling or buying? What do they need to know? Well, HST is a big one. In most contracts, HST is included in the purchase price. Uh, and that's in most residential resale homes. In new homes, it's a different story. And there's a whole formula and calculation about that. But when you're buying, let's say, a commercial property, a little uh, a, 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 a industrial unit or a commercial plaza, um, you must pay HST on your purchase price. Um, okay. If you're a corporation buying it, you can, uh, you know, have that as a wash, as a, as, as, as a tax credit on your return, or you can do an election at the time of closing on that. Um, but the interesting one is hobby farms. Many times okay. people will go out and buy a 50-acre farm thinking well it's got one house and it's got a farm on it but if the previous owner the farmer was farming the land renting the land out for farming purposes and collecting a rent on it and collecting hst on that there is a rental component to that now when you buy that 50 acres yes maybe two or three acres or five acres will be exempt from the hst because that's where the residence is but the right. land that is being farmed is not exempt. So always talk to your lawyer, always talk to your accountant, always ask the seller, what was the property previously used for? Were you earning income on it? Were you an HST registrant? Do I need to become a registrant? Am I buying personally or am I buying in a corporation? So these are all great accountant questions to ask. And like anything, <laughs> you're making it has such a huge investment spend the extra couple of hundred dollars get some consultation before you make those decisions because you would be surprised even many many realtors don't know the tax complexities including myself so i have my accountant on speed dial and he hates that but i still <laughs> uh, to ask these questions uh because the last thing that's a very costly mistake to give you an example a million dollar farm could have hundred and thirty thousand dollars in hst payable on closing so wow. If you didn't count on that, it's a big ticket item. Um, the other thing is sellers often will sign off on an agreement of purchase and sale. And there's a clause buried in there that said the seller certifies that all the fixtures and appliances in the house are in good working order. And we all assume that everything's working, but something right. like the, um, you know, the heating element in the dishwasher doesn't work. Well, that's then it's not in good working order. Or if there's something to, you know, your 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 fan works intermittently, your exhaust fan works intermittently, or something isn't quite working the way it should, it's always best to either disclose the problem or at minimum say that whatever appliances I'm leaving behind are old and they will be purchased in as-is condition and I'm not warranting it. Because if you say it's all in good working order, well, guess what? If it ain't, you're going to be paying the bill for a new one. Right. And a lot of people don't realize that. Um, leased items versus rented items. Rented right. items are items that are straight rentals. You pay the rent forever. If you don't want the item, you call the supplier. They come and take it out. 
leased or conditional sales contracts have a term. So if you're assuming something that is leased, you're in fact taking on the obligation. Uh, so a furnace or, or an air conditioner that was leased to own, you are now going to be the owner of that and you will have to buy that out. So know what amounts you're going to be paying for that. And again, often people find out these things a little bit too late. Um, privacy is another thing that's coming up a lot. If I photograph your home, Brock, with all your items in there, and you might mm -hmm. say, Faisal, that's fine. I'm not really comfortable with you taking pictures of my house, but I need that to sell my house. Go for it. Now, unless you instruct me that you don't want those photos staying on the World Wide Web forever and ever and ever, um, because the agreement of purchase and sale will state that you're giving me permission to keep this on. So if you don't wow. want have to state that you want the photos removed from all platforms after the sale of the home. Otherwise, they're going to stay on forever. Um, so there's a lot of little things like that that you have okay. to make sure that you look. And the lastly, the, the, which is kind of a big, big deal, especially now, when you're buying a home, you might be putting a $50,000 deposit on that home. That, that deposit could stay in the uh, real estate agency's trust account for four to six months, depending on your right. closing. So now if you've got $50,000 sitting in a trust account, ask the question, who is getting the interest? Am I getting the interest? Is the broker right. getting the interest? After what amount of interest? So in our contracts, anything that's $50 or less in interest earned in the trust account stays with the brokerage, covers okay. But if it's in addition to that, then you must state that you want your money stayed uh, in, a, in an interest-bearing account and any surplus interest that is received on those deposits are then refunded to you at closing. And you know that's a huge amount of money and a lot of brokerages will have millions and millions of dollars in their trust account. And guess who's getting the interest? The brokerages. And and as you said, it, you 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 know you've got to do your homework. And and if you're if you if you not any not we can't know everything. And as you said, you've got your your accountant on speed dial. It's important for if you can't have get access to all of this information, other those extra those other people on on your to to give them a call and say, look, hey, I've got some questions for you. And never never be afraid to ask. The worst question is the one you don't ask because uh, it, you're just going to assume that this is uh, the way things are. Um, don't assume those things. Go and figure it out because you could be missing out. And as you're saying uh, from from a, from the other end of things, hey, the money's just sitting there. Well, if we're collecting interest and nobody knows anything about it, well, it's just going to sit there, right? Um, and that 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 plays into that that those morals and, and values sort of things that we've talked about before as well too. Um, another term that you had mentioned in the pre-show notes, this idea of exclusive listings or pocket listings, uh, you were saying that as of uh, two weeks ago, that that is over and done. What's 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 changed? What's happening? So as of January 3rd, the Canadian Real Estate Association has stated that you can no longer advertise exclusive listings or pocket listings. So those are listings that are not on MLS. And I'm sure... Um, speaking to realtors who said, well, it's not on the market, but it is for sale. That's fine. But if it's not on the market and it's still for sale and you see it all over Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Google, and there's ads being taken out on it, but the agent is not putting it on MLS, well, that's a no-no. It must go on MLS if you're advertising it. Otherwise, it cannot 
be advertised. So you can have an exclusive listing or a pocket listing, but the minute you advertise it, it must be open to all realtors. It must be on the MLS system. They must cooperate with realtors. This is not being received very well with a lot of commercial agents who like to have pocket okay. listings um, saying, well, it's not for sale, but I have an in on it. So, but it restricts them from marketing it. So now you can't basically have your cake and eat it too. You can't say, I'm not going to cooperate with all the other realtor community, but I'm going to have this listing that I'm only going to sell. And if you look at it from a practical perspective, if you are a seller and you're selling your home, Brock, you don't necessarily want your agent to be the only one who procures a client for it because where's the best value? Where's the competition? How do you know you got the most money? Market value is defined by the number of people that come and see a home and they decide what the value of your home is. And if you are only giving it to one person and your agent is saying, well, that's all it's worth, Brock, because that's all this guy's willing to pay and he's my buyer. Well, yeah, mm -hmm. you might save a little bit on commission, but how much did you leave on the table is a big question. Right. Um, right. So I personally don't have an issue with this new policy because I have never dealt with pocket listings or with ex exclusive listings simply for the reason that if you're running a transparent business, if you're working in the best interest of your seller, you want it to go on to the open market. Of course, I have buyers for my listings, but how do I know that that buyer was going to pay the most to my seller who I am obligated to under contract to work in the seller's best interest. I'm not working the best seller's uh, seller's best interest when I'm pocketing my listings and only showing it to my own clients. Good information to know. And, and, and I know we've talked about this before too, Faisal, that idea that for you, you are looking at uh, you know, the, the markets in, in Mississauga and in Brampton and, and Etobicoke to say, look, Hey, we've got, we've got some amazing, amazing homes here. That's just another, you know, 40 minutes. And, and uh, your, your tag used to be what uh, drive 35 minutes, save 35% or something like that. And the idea right. is get, get that view out to the, to as many people as you can. Absolutely. And, and you want your, that's what marketing it is. Right. Otherwise, you don't need a realtor. You can just tell a few people that your house is for sale. That's right. Right. You need to you need to be able to, to go beyond that. Listen, we'll take a final break here on Ask the Experts. When we come back, we're going to talk about a couple of things, generational wealth. And then Faisal's going to give, he's going to be our coach for a little while. Let's just put it that way. You're listening to Ask the Experts here on City News 570. Welcome back to the show. My guest today has been Faisal Suziwala, also known as Canada's top real estate broker. Listeners, if you'd like a chance to chat with Faisal yourself, you can always start by going to homeshack.com. You can call Faisal directly, 519-624-5555, or through email, faisal at homeshack.com. Before the break, Faisal, I mentioned the idea of generational wealth. How do you create it? How do you maintain it? Why is it important? I'm going to turn the turn to everything over to you right now. Yeah, it, it's so important to have that mindset that you're not just sort of living for today. You're creating generational wealth, and especially uh, people of our generation need to do that even more so than previous generations or future generations because the opportunities just don't exist for them that did for us. So how do we create it? Number one, you bring out you bring awareness. You 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 understand that there is a need. For financial literacy, there's a need to talk about what your goals are, 
what your income is, what your expenses are, and how you can put money away to create that and uh, that ongoing cash flow and revenue. So investing your money is very important. Sitting on your cash is not the answer. And a lot of us old school guys, they go, oh, I'm just going to sit on cash because cash yeah. is king. Well, cash is actually not king because inflation will eat your money up very, very quickly. Right. So I don't care if you buy gold bars because at least it's a commodity that's increasing and hopefully continues to increase. But don't sit on cash because that will get depleted very, very quickly. For young people, I say get a credit card and learn how to use that credit card responsibly, pay right. it off every month. It also gives you an opportunity to build up your credit score. So whether you're going to buy a home or rent a home, if you don't have good credit, you're not buying anything. No one's renting a place to you. And then for people sort of of our generation, although we think we're young, it's really important to have an estate plan, to start thinking along the lines of what ifs. Do you have a roadmap? Do you have that sort of fire drill um, that, God forbid, something happens to you today? Are, are, are my loved ones going to suffer? Do they know what's going on? Invest in life insurance. It's a tax-free benefit to your survivors. Um, but above all, you know, get good, sound, professional advice. Learn from people who have done, you know, have succeeded, ha understand. And, and those are your financial consultants, your lawyers, your accountants, your realtors, people who are in the know and also have seen the challenges with people who haven't actually taken the right steps. And I, and I think, I mean, you and I are, are, are very similar in age, Faisal. I mean, we both uh, hit 29 this year. And, yes. <laughs> but I think, I think we share something. I, for me, growing up, finances was dad's business. And I don't mean to, I don't mean to pigeonhole that, but the idea was I, we never had these conversations and I doubt that he had many conversations with, with his spouse. It was, I don't know how many sleepless nights he would have had, but that was the idea that this was something he looked into and looked after. I, I, I try as a, as a, the next generation to have open conversations with my kids to say, you know, here's how much is coming in. Here's how much is going out. Uh, and, and, and I, and I hope that our generation and, and the people that are younger than us are doing that. Are you finding that people are more willing to talk about finances these days? Absolutely. I, I think it's so important to share those, but it also gives just, it's just education for, for young people that, that are surrounding us because they have no concept of what an amortization is, what a mortgage payment is, how long it takes to face of what a term is compared to what an amortization is. So these are all things that are so important to discuss with your family. And especially in Canada, it does not really pay to have debt. So it's better to learn how to pay off your debt. Good information. Uh, I, we're going to tie in another topic, and it's it's not on and always an easy one to talk about. But you you touched on it just in this last bit, the idea of preparing your beneficiaries on on what they are going to receive when you are no longer with us. Uh, again, it's it's not an easy topic, but it's in your mind and in, in in my mind as well. It's really important because it's peace of mind, and it's also it ties into that generational piece as well too. What 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 are your thoughts? You know, I can't tell you the number of times that I've had to visit someone's home where someone has passed on and the, and the survivor has no idea 
or the kids have no idea what mom and dad had or what dad had or what the husband had or what the wife had. And now we're dealing with navigating not only where are the assets, what assets are there, but more importantly, what were the wishes of the person who passed on? Like, would they have wanted you to just sell everything and 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 enjoy the rest of your life, or would they have wanted you to keep all those things and continue growing it and having some sort of passive income for the rest of your life and pass it on to to other loved ones? Um, and I'll, I'll use myself as an example. You know, I I, I call it. I don't want to. Um, uh, I, I don't want to leave my kids with this this idea that oh, dad's gone and I can just blow my money now. So you know, I, I've got very clear instructions in my will as to what I want done um, once I'm gone. What assets should never be sold? What assets can be sold? What assets there are? The people that I that I've entrusted, who my accountant is, who my lawyer is, who my financial advisor, who handles my portfolios. Um, these are all important things, right down to, you know, you should have spreadsheets or charts or notes that maybe put in a safe somewhere and, and let your spouse or your loved ones know that this is where it is in case something should happen to me. Um, otherwise, you're going to get this situation where you come into all this money and you have no idea what to do with it. It's like right. winning a lottery in some instances. And we all know the stats on people who win these large lotteries often end up right back or worse than where they were because they didn't know how to handle the funds that they have in hand and they didn't know how to invest it and no one guided them. And it's easy right. to say, well, you, you get a car and you get a car and you get a car and all of a sudden you've given up all your money. So it's it's important. To, and like I say, I, I equate it to a fire drill that if you have this map, say just in case of emergency, here right. are the problems you need to take to be safe at the end of this drill. And that's exactly what you have to have those conversations. They're extremely uncomfortable and they're uncomfortable both for the parents and for the, for the kids. Because as, as, as a son, I don't really want to go ask my mom and dad, well, how much money do you have in your account? And how much, how many, or what's my share going to be? Or what am I going to get? But you know what? I'm sure my parents would not want me fighting with my siblings about, well, I thought that was mine. Or I thought this was mine. And it could be something as simple as, you know, fine, fine China or, or, or whatever you may have uh, a watch or jewelry or something that must sentimental to you. Just outline all of those things before you pass on. Good idea. And, and as we said, not an easy conversation, but an, an important one to have. We've got a couple of minutes and I know you've been chomping at getting out the information about this rule. And I and I I don't know if I've heard about this one before, the 75-15-10 rule. What do we need to know about that rule, Flies? So the 75-15-10 rule, it's pretty simple. 75% of your income should go towards your day-to-day -day expenses. Okay, 15% of your income should be used to actively invest, whether it's stocks, bonds, uh, GICs, real estate, but for future growth. So this is money that you can risk a little bit because it's for future. So that's 15%. Now, the other 10%, you want to put it away in an emergency fund, but get a high interest paying account or an investment that, you know, A, it's liquid, so you can get your money out immediately. And that's for right. incidentals such as you lost your job or you lost a loved one and you have to take time off or there's sickness. So all of these things are where that 10% and, and let's hope you never have to use it. But if you have to make sure that 
you start working on it now. So you have at least a six month reserve and you would be surprised at how easy it is to do that. If you just pretend like that money was never yours. So 75% right. is yours to spend with, spend to do whatever you need. The other 25%, 15 goes into investment, 10% goes into your emergency fund. And this will help you grow your wealth and always keep you away from sort of the, uh, the big bad wolf. Good information to have. And if you didn't write it down quickly enough, this show gets turned into a podcast and you can uh, you can go back and take a look on to uh, go to City News. Do it. You're going to do a little Google search and you're going to click on the listen button. Uh, scroll down. You'll find us. Faisal and I have a number of our podcasts that are recorded there. Go back through and, and uh, do your homework because that's important as well, too. Faisal, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Always something new to learn. And uh, I'm going to go home and look at my budget right now. Always a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for having me on, Brock. Uh, and and all the best to uh, as as we roll into uh, 2024. You always give us uh, really something to think about, and and you've giving us your time, and we and we do really appreciate it. Uh, that was Faisal Susie Walla, Canada's top real estate broker, recently published author of The Real Deal, billion dollar real estate broker. Luckily for us, someone who is willing to share his thoughts on the current real estate market. Big thank you to our technical producer as well, Devin Robertson, pushed all those right buttons today. And thanks to you listeners for joining us. You've been listening to Ask the Experts here on City News 570.